Welcome to Adonai Church. You're listening to a sermon by our guest speaker. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Let us open our hearts to our Lord. And uh, we pray that He will speak to our hearts. Father God, we give you thanks, Lord, that today is a lovely day where we can celebrate the resurrection of your Son. Jesus is alive. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts. Lord, that you, could, you would show us, uh, deep inside us, Lord God, that he is alive and that he loves us. I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Today I'm going to preach on John chapter 20. It is, uh, to my reckoning, uh, one of the 50 most important chapters in the Bible. Uh, it's, a, not, it's not a very easy chapter to, to go through, uh, but we will, by God's grace, go through it. Now, I will speak on three points. The first point is, in John chapter 20, it is the empty tomb, verses 1 to 9. The second point I'm going to speak on are the three appearances of the resurrected Lord Jesus. Right? And the third point, which I'm going to speak on, is remember that Jesus is alive. And we want that message that he is alive to make a vast difference in our lives. And so, we will start. First, on the empty tomb. Yeah. John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. The empty tomb is very important. It's very important because... If the tomb was not empty, then the message of the resurrection would be a farce. Can you imagine people saying, Jesus is alive, but the body is still in the tomb? I mean, that's a farce. So the empty tomb is very important. It's very important. And the stone has been removed. You see, Jesus did not need the stone to be removed. He could rise again and move away. He could pass through the stone. But the stone was removed, not for his sake, but so that the world could go into the tomb and see it is empty. You understand? So, the empty tomb is an extremely important aspect of Christianity. That the tomb is empty. People go to Israel and they visit the tomb and they kiss the tomb. Pointless. Pointless. Why? Because Jesus is not there. He is risen. 
No point in kissing a stone. Anyway, so, and notice in this particular verse, he says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. We, there were many women, there were three or four women that went along with Mary Magdalene. But in this gospel, we are concentrating on Mary Magdalene and we will see why later on. And so the story centers around Mary Magdalene. And she says, they have taken. Who are the they? You know, this word they is a very general unknown term. I suffered from dengue a few months ago. And they told my wife that I should have this papaya leaf juice. And she gave me glasses of them. And it's horrible. Why? Because they said you should have it. Now, after having so many glasses, they said you only need to have a tablespoon of it. <laughs> they, they. So anyway, so Mary Magdalene says, they, they said, they have taken them away. Who are the they? We don't know. It doesn't matter. But Jesus is not in the tomb. That's mattering. All right? Now, so Mary was the first witness of the empty tomb. John 20, verses 3 to 9. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb he saw the strips of the linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now, there are three words concerning uh, the saw and the looked, etc. First of all, Peter and John, when they were told by Mary Magdalene that the tomb is empty, being responsible leaders of the church, they wanted to see for themselves that the tomb was empty. It is not that they distrusted Mary Magdalene. They wanted to see for themselves. So they went to the tomb. First, the other disciple, whom we think is John, the apostle, John went, but he didn't go inside the tomb. He just peered. He saw, he looked into the tomb. The word looked is there. He, he just peered over there. He just had a cursory glance. And nothing else, but he saw the tomb was empty. Then Peter went in, and it says over here, he saw. What did he saw? He made a survey of it. He made a survey. In the Greek word is tore. Tore means he made a survey of it. And he realized that 
The linen burial cloth was neatly arranged and the covering over the face of the corpse that was neatly arranged, but the corpse was not there. The tomb was empty, but everything was neatly arranged. It is important. It is important. This witness of Peter is important. Why? Because this body was not robbed by a grave robber. The grave robber would not keep these things neatly arranged. So this particular testimony of the empty tomb is important. And then he came out and John went in again. And here he says, he saw and believed. This word saw is different. He actually took in. He perceived something. He's, he did more than a survey. He perceived something and believed. Believed is the same word for faith, pistio. And it shows over there that faith was rising, but he still couldn't understand. They still didn't understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And that was the testimony of the empty tomb. Now, I go to the second point. The three appearances of Jesus. First, it was to Mary Magdalene. Second, it was to the disciples. Third, it was to Thomas. So we'll take the first appearance. Jesus appeared to Mary. I'm only going to read it, so please pay attention. It's from John chapter 20, 10 to 18. I'm only going to read it. Then the disciples went back to their homes. That means Peter and John went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying, and she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Women, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, that is Jesus said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, Mary said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus answered her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to, this, to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So, who was Mary Magdalene? Mary Magdalene, we know from the scriptures, that seven demons came out of her. Jesus cast out seven demons from her. Many people think 
She was the one that was caught in adultery, but we are not, so, we are not certain about it. Many people think that she was the one that anointed Jesus' feet, but we are not certain about it. Certainly, she is, she is not Mary, the sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha. She was not that. Mary Magdalene, all we are certain about her was that seven demons were cast out of her. Now, and she began to be an ardent follower of Jesus. You see, Mary Magdalene had an encounter with Jesus when he was in his ministry on earth. And with that encounter, she was transformed. Seven demons were removed from her. She was totally transformed and became an ardent follower of the Lord Jesus. In the Gospel of John, you will often find John using this particular system. What? That people must have a personal encounter with Jesus. When they have a personal encounter with him, they are transformed completely transformed, and they become an ardent follower of the Lord Jesus. I was a person like that. I was a man of the world. I came from such an insecure background, full of insecurity inside. From the outside, I looked tough. I was a hot-tempered man, and I thought money could make me secure, and I went after it. But at the age of 40, I had an encounter with the Lord. Complete change and transformation in my life. I don't know how many demons came out of me. Probably many. But one thing happened. The power of my temper was broken. That the power of running after money was broken. And the power of insecurity started breaking in my life. I found I had peace. And what happened to me? I became an ardent follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Mary, I had an encounter. And as we go through the sermon, I will invite you to have an encounter with the Lord. You don't have to be frightened about it at all, because Jesus is never threatening. Jesus says, if you are a smoldering, a smoldering wick, I will not snuff out. And a bruised reed I will not break. Jesus is a gentle savior. He's a gentle savior. He treats us with respect. He treats us with care. He treated Mary Magdalene with care. There was a woman who was caught in adultery. And Jesus treated her with respect. With respect. And he treats each and every one of us with respect. We are called to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus. We'll go further. Now Mary, having had the encounter of seven demons taken away from her, she became an ardent follower of the Lord. Peter and John, they saw and they went home. But Mary lingered. Lingered. She lingered at the tomb. She wanted to carry the Lord Jesus' body. How she would do it, that's not the point. She didn't think so far. 
her devotion, wanted to do the best for the Lord. And she was devoted to Him. You know, when you're devoted to the Lord, God will reward you. The Bible says, I will honor those who honor me. And Mary was honoring the Lord Jesus by her devotion. The big, the big apostles, Peter and John, saw and they left. Mary lingered. And she was rewarded with four things. First thing, she saw angels. She was the first person in all history to see the resurrected Lord. The first person. She was rewarded being the first person in all of history to see the resurrected Lord. Who was she? Seven demons were cast out of her. Who was she? She was a woman. She was not the big apostles. A woman. But Jesus has no favorites. He will honor those who honor him. And if you honor Jesus, he will honor you. And how do we honor Jesus? By our devotion to him. Like Mary, she was devoted to the Lord. And the Lord rewarded her with four things. First thing, she saw angels. Second thing, she was the first person in all history to see the risen Lord. Third thing, she was the first person to receive from Jesus a new revelation. We will study that. And the fourth thing, she was the first person in all history to testify as a witness to the resurrection. The Lord met with her and said, Go, Mary, and tell my brothers. Anyway, we'll go through it. John 16, John 20, verses 16 to 17. John 20, 16 to 17. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. First person in all history to see the resurrected Lord. First person. Second, secondly, she had a new revelation. In the past, Jesus told his apostles, he said, I don't call you servants. I call you what? Friends. I don't call you servants. I call you friends. But now, the relationship has changed. He says, go to my brothers. First, servants, friends, now brothers. You are right in the family. And just to make that doubly sure, go and tell them, go, my father and your father, to my God and your God. Same, same, same level as Jesus. Same level as Jesus. That's amazing. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's your brother and my brother. And we can go to his God and our God because of our Lord Jesus. She was the first person, yeah, to receive a commission to go and witness about the resurrection. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead, go, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and 
your God. The first person in all of history to be given a commission. Go. Go and tell people. Go and tell my brothers. And who was the first person? A woman. A woman. Christianity honors women. Honors women. It's not that it honors women above men. It honors those who honor him. That's it. That's the qualification. Not the qualification whether you're a man or a woman. The qualification is that you honor God. Mary honored God by her devotion. Second thing, yeah, I want to say, here is that he says, don't hold on to me. Now some people think that, you know, Jesus revealed himself to Mary. Then he went up to heaven, met his father, came down and touched the disciples. No, that's not right. That's not right. You see, Jesus, Mary was holding on to Jesus, was clinging on to Jesus. In the King James Version, he says, don't touch me. And that's a wrong translation. The right translation is, don't hold on to me. Don't cling on to me. You see, Jesus, his, his, his appearance has changed. He was once, before he died, he was a human being, fully man, and people could cling to him. But now, there is a phase that has changed. He is now going to ascend into heaven, and he is going to send the Holy Spirit. And that era where people could cling on to him has changed. This is a transitory phase. And he says, look, Mary, you can't treat me the same way that you treated me while I was on earth. Now I'm on my way to the Father. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to whom you can cling to. Today we can cling to the Holy Spirit. We can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So, that's what I would like to say. Now, that was Mary. That was Mary. Now, Jesus appeared to the disciples. He appeared to Mary on a Sunday morning, on Easter morning. But in the evening, he appeared to the disciples. So, let us look at that. Verses John chapter 20, verses 19 to 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, that is Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, how did Jesus come in? Did he come in past the locked doors? I don't think so. He doesn't need the locked doors. He doesn't need the stone. Jesus can appear himself anywhere. He's right here, right here, and he can display himself if he wants to. He's right here. So even though the doors were locked, he didn't pass through those locked doors. He just appeared. And when he appeared, he says, peace be with you. A peace be with you was a normal greeting, like how we say hello. Hello, 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 hello. Same. It's the same thing. But here, 
It's not the same thing. Why? He says, peace be with you. And then, then he showed them his hands. And his hands were pierced. And he says, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands. And it's amazing. You see, suppose you were there. And he came to you. And he said, peace be with you. And he showed you his hands. He says, you know, I died on the cross for you. And I paid the price for you. And I have risen from the dead. And you can have peace. And you were there. And you saw that. And I want to say, he is here. And his hands are still open to you. But there is another hand. It's another hand that is also coming towards you. And that's the hand of Satan. He said, ah, no, no, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. That's the hand. But which hand will you see? This hand or this hand? The hand that was pierced for you. And he says, peace be with you. And you say, but Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I've done this. I have done that. I, I don't know how many demons are inside me. Oh, Lord, there's such a lot of... Peace be with you. I paid for everything. I paid for everything. Peace be with you. I love you. And for you, I have come. And have a look at my hands. That's what he says to you. Because he is alive. He is alive. Jesus is alive. We'll go further and further. And we will build up our faith. So that we can encounter the Lord. We want to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to have an encounter so that our lives are transformed. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, we want to have an encounter with the Lord. So, John 20, carrying on, John 20, 21 to 23, Again, Jesus said, after the first peace, again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Oh my gosh. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Oh, my gosh. This is the greatest assignment any man can have or a woman can have. The greatest. It is far bigger than being the prime minister of India or, or the U.S. This is the greatest assignment you could have. Jesus said, look, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. What an assignment. And Father... Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And whoever sins you retain, they are retained. Oh, oh, that's big. That's a big assignment. And that's not only given to men, as you know, women are also included. Mary Magdalene was the first to be rewarded, right? It's given to everybody. Now, let's examine this. It's a very important verse. So we should examine it. I was, a, I was a good Catholic. I was a Catholic for 40 years. 45 years. 45 years. Very good Catholic. I went to Mass every day. 
Can't beat me. I said my rosary every day. Can't beat me. I went for confessions about a thousand times. Many sins. You can't beat me. But there was no power in those confessions. I went and I came back without being transformed. I had no encounter with Jesus. You understand? Because, you see, the power to forgive sins is not in going through a ritual. The power to forgive sins is not in a person. The power is in the gospel. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The power is in the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus died for my sins. He was buried and he rose again. My sins are paid for. And when the gospel was presented to me, I received forgiveness. I received it. So, I'm not against priests who bless you and you, when you come. I'm not against them. Because if they do it with the anointing of the Lord, if they do it explaining the gospel to you, and you go to them and sort of repent, you're forgiven. Because the power is not in the priest. The power is where? In the gospel. And so, many of you, you all are going out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both men and women, in preaching the gospel, in living free and this free and that free, and you all are going out, and the anointing of the Lord is with you. You have the same as assignment as what these apostles have. As the Father has sent me, I send you. I send you. And if you're going out and telling people about Jesus, this particular verse is for you. The power of God is for you. You can go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those whom you present the gospel to, and if they receive it, their sins are forgiven. Otherwise, they are retained. So, but nevertheless, the other side of the coin, I want to bring some balance into what I'm saying. The other side of the coin is this. Consider, you know, you meet a stranger and the stranger says, you perfect idiot. So many people call me that when I'm driving the car. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But if a pastor of your church comes and tells you, you are a perfect idiot, I tell you one thing, it will hurt your heart. It will hurt your heart. You know why? When a man of authority speaks words, those words have power. And men of authority have a responsibility to speak words of life because your words have power. And what better words can a person receive from a man of authority or a woman of authority as your sins are forgiven? Your sins are forgiven. See, so there is power when a man or a woman of authority. And so, if you are suffering from guilt, and some people do suffer from guilt. Some people, unfortunately, have abortions. And oh, that guilt is there, that guilt is there, that guilt is there. I don't know. There's a lot of guilt in our lives. 
all of us have guilt. And if you don't feel that your sins are forgiven, there is a pastoral team in this church. Take advantage of them. They are people of authority. Go and meet them. Say, look, I'm having a problem. Would you please listen to my story? Would you please explain to me the gospel? Would you please explain to me from the scriptures? And they will. They will take time out with you. Why? Because just as the Father has sent Jesus, they are being sent out in His name. And they have authority. And you can open and unburden your heart to this pastoral team of this church. And they will pray for you. And I can tell you, there will be the power of God. And deep down in your heart, your guilt will go. Your guilt will go. And so take advantage. Take advantage in, of what the risen Lord wants you to have. So, now, I want to bring another aspect to this particular thing. Jesus breathed on these disciples. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And whatever sins you forgive will be forgiven. And those you want to retain will be retained. Those, okay. So, what is this breathing of the Holy Spirit upon these disciples? Now, how does it relate to Acts chapter 2-4 when the Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles? How does this anointing relate with that anointing? Is this only symbolic of that? Those who are not familiar with the scriptures, don't worry about it. Those who are familiar will understand what I'm saying. Right? So how does this anointing which the Lord Jesus gave these apostles relate with that anointing on the day of Pentecost? Is it different? Yes, it is different. Is this anointing symbolic? No, it is not symbolic. It is real. Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. Real. It is imperative. Receive the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean? It means this. In the book, the Gospel of John, you can say the first chapter was like an introduction. Then, then comes the drama from chapter 2 to chapter 20. And chapter 21 is the epilogue. It is just an ending of the drama. So John chapter 20 is virtually the end of the Gospel of John. Virtually the end. Jesus has completed his ministry and he is soon going to ascend into heaven. And virtually the last thing he comes and tells them, he says, I am sending you in my name. He's finishing his ministry. He has paid the price on the cross. He has risen from the dead. And he's saying, here yeah, is this anointing. Whatever you uh, go out in my name, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Later on, they receive another anointing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And later on, they had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Until today, we, we want more and more of the Holy Spirit. So it's never ending. But this is the first installment. The first installment. Then comes the baptism. Then comes the filling, etc. But this is a genuine 
anointing. Don't ever forget that. And so, my brothers and sisters, when you go out with the gospel, you are going out with the anointing of the Lord Jesus. You are going out to tell people that their sins are forgiven because Jesus died on the cross. You have, you have a great assignment, probably the greatest assignment of all. Now, the third appearance is also important. The third appearance is to Thomas. So, in verses, John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hands, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I want to talk a little bit about Thomas. We say doubting Thomas. We got a nickname for Thomas. He's a doubting Thomas. But actually, he was not doubting really. Why? Because Thomas was one of the twelve. And those twelve apostles needed to see the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Peter and John also needed to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as the apostle Thomas, he needed to see the Lord Jesus. So, why is this story over here? This story over here, which I will explain, is for you and for me. Because we don't need to see the Lord. We need to believe that He is risen from the dead. We need to believe that. That's the story. And Thomas is called what? Thomas Didymus. Didymus in Greek is twin. Thomas the twin. That means he had another brother or a sister. We don't know who that person is. Some wise commentator said, Look in the mirror, you will find the twin. Because we doubt so often. You understand? Right. Now, Jesus, the third point which I'm going to speak on, is Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Mary said, I have seen the Lord. The disciples said, we have seen the Lord. Later, 500 others have said, we have seen the Lord. John 20, verse 18. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. John 20, verse 25. The other disciples said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, 
most of them who are still living, he appeared to 500 other brothers at the same time. So many people have seen the Lord. But why on earth Jesus did not show himself to Pilate, to the Pharisees? He could have done that. My gosh, why didn't he do that? Why did he show himself only to his disciples? Well, you know, they would not have believed him. You say, well, how can they do that? You remember, you remember, there was this, in John chapter 11, Lazarus died. And Jesus raised him after four days from the dead. He was stinking in the grave. He says, take out the gravestone, Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus came forth. He was alive. What happened? Some believed in Jesus. Many went to the Pharisees and said, this man is doing this great miracles. What did the Pharisees say? Oh my gosh. Now everybody is going to follow him. And what is going to happen to the Jewish nation? The Romans will come and finish us up. They wanted their religion more than they wanted Jesus. And so you see, they were not believing. There was another parable given by the Lord Jesus. There was a beggar man and there was a rich man. And the beggar man died. By the way, his name was also Lazarus, but not the same Lazarus of John 11. This beggar man died and so did the rich man. The rich man, when he saw the beggar man in the bosom of Abraham, he says, oh Lord, let this beggar man, Lazarus, go to my other brothers. I've got so many other brothers. But the Lord told him, no use, no use. Even if a man is risen from the dead and goes to your brothers, they won't believe. You see, the resurrection is something that can harden your heart from unbelief to greater unbelief. But the resurrection can also change your heart from a little belief to more belief. And so Jesus revealed himself only to his disciples. And their faith was increased. He invested himself with his disciples. He will invest himself with those who believe. I'm telling you a true story. I'll tell you what happened. You know, I was a street preacher for many years in Bombay. Many years. And one day, I remember, there was one guy when I was preaching on the road. He was smiling and he was waving his hands to me. And that is very unusual. Normally, people throw something at me when I was preaching on the road. So I was quite happy to see this guy smiling and he was waving his hands to me. So after I preached and I started praying over the people, this young man came to me and he says, you know, pastor, do you remember me? I said, no, no, I don't remember you. I can't. I said, where did I meet you? He says, well, many years ago, maybe three or four years ago, I saw you preaching on the road. And some of your workers uh, came and gave me a tract. And I was uh, going to the Persian Gulf for a job. And uh, I was thinking, uh, can this be true? Can this be true, what this man is doing on the road? Is this message true? Uh, and 
I thought to myself, I'm going to put a test. I was going to Saudi Arabia for, the, for a job. This was many years ago. And uh, that time, and even till today, uh, Bibles are not allowed in Saudi Arabia. And so he was flying to Saudi Arabia, and he said, I'm going to put the Bible right on top of my clothes, right in my suitcase, and I'm going to check out what's going to happen. So he, this is a true story, he went to Saudi Arabia, and right enough, the, the immigration authority said, come on, open your bags. So they opened this bag, they saw the Bible, they put it aside, and they searched, 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 found nothing, put the Bible back, and they, and they zipped it. This guy was shocked. He was shocked. And then, he took a taxi, he was going to wherever he was going, to his hotel or someplace, and he was in a state of shock. And suddenly, he broke into tears. He started sobbing. And the taxi driver was feeling bad for him. And he said, sir, is anybody dead at home? He says, no, somebody is alive. Somebody is alive. And he knew that Jesus is alive. He opened his heart to this living Jesus. And of course, he was transformed. He was transformed. So, you know, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, he is alive and he's reaching out to you. I want to go further. I want you to have an encounter, whether you're a believer or not a believer. I want you to have an encounter with the Lord. So we go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 to 8. 2 Timothy 2, verse 4 to 8. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown. And unless he competes according to the rules, the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight in all this. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. Remember that. Remember that. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. Descendant of David is the Messiah, the Savior. Peace be with you. See my hands. See my hands. Risen from the dead, his resurrection power is there for you. Is there for you. There are three examples given. One is that of a soldier. One is that of an athlete. One of them, a hard-working farmer. Soldiers, for soldiers, it's a matter of life and death. For an athlete, you know, Saina Nehwal, the badminton player, no boyfriends, no this, no that, only badminton, only badminton. You have read about her, right? You have read about her. Athletes work hard. They work hard. Hard-working farmers, they work hard. They have to till. They have to sow. Three hard-working examples. We're called to be soldiers. We're called to be soldiers. Remember, as a soldier, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
It is not against flesh and blood. It is not against human beings. It is against the evil spirits. And we are in a spiritual warfare. You be a soldier. You be a soldier. Then he says, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. You know, there was, there was this power to change in Bangalore City a few months ago. A few months ago. And, you know, that was the greatest, greatest event since Bangalore City was ever founded. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached throughout the city on buses, here, everywhere. And we were called to be soldiers, to support that effort. And Pastor David Gundy, he called for intercessors, and I was one of them. And we used to pray from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the morning. And on the last day, I felt sick. I had dengue fever, and I had to be rushed to hospital. But in hospital, I sent a word to Pastor David. I said, David... I'm praying at 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock on my hospital bed. Why? Because I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. You see, the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ is available to me and available to you. The power is available. But resolution, we must be resolute. That is up to us. And the power is available to you if you're resolute. You've got to match that power with your resolution. The resurrected power, he is alive, Jesus is alive. Be a soldier. Be an athlete. Be an athlete. Here it says, over here, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. You know, we can't run the race if we have sin in our hearts. If we have sin in our we can't, we can't, we can't. But the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ is available to you and to me to break the power of sin. The Bible says, sin shall not be your master. Why? Because of the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin shall not be your master. Not because of your willpower, because of his power. And today, we're going to stand up and say, God, I want that power. Because I want the power of sin to be broken in my life. We're going to be an athlete. We're going to run our race. Then, the third one. A farmer. A hard-working farmer. Galatians chapter 6, verses 10 to, 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow good things in your life, you will reap good things. And the resurrected power of our Lord Jesus Christ is available to you. Some of you take tracks and you go out. I can tell you one thing. You are sowing good things. And the resurrected power of the Lord is with you. Some of you do good things to the poor. I tell you, the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. Keep on sowing as a hard-working farmer. You will reap what you sow. I'm closing. I'm closing. Today is the day where Jesus is celebrated as being alive. He's here, and his hands are out for you. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. 
and he blows on you. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Go in my name. And my brothers and sisters, today you can experience the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us all stand up and we are going to pray. Open your hearts to him. Open your hearts to him. Remember, remember, he can pass through walls and he can pass through your conscious and unconscious layers inside you. You have all unconscious and conscious layers. Psychological layers, emotional layers, this layer, that layer. Sometimes we don't know what layers we have. But Jesus can see it. He can pass through them. But he won't unless you open your heart. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody would hear my voice, I will come in. He will not overpower your free will. He says, do you want me? Do you want my resurrected power? And if you say, yes, Lord, and we all need his power. Say, yes, Lord, come and transform me. Let me have an encounter with you, Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, I just pray to you, Lord. Arise, Lord, by your spirit. Touch us, Lord. We want to have more and more of you, Lord Jesus. I know that you are here. You're not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. You're not ashamed, Lord God. Your first appearance was to a woman. You have no favorites, Lord. You only want people who want you. And we want you, Lord. We ask you to touch our lives. We ask you to transform our lives. We ask you to give us that resurrected power. Lord, we ask you to embolden us in, Lord, in the task that you have called us for. Father, move by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bring God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com. 